Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be kicking it with y'all today. Let's go, y'all. I'm super pumped. Uh, thank you so much for sliding into the diner booth with me. What are you having today? Maybe a little French toast, challah bread French toast. If you know, you know. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, but I'm super pumped that we get to hang out again. Thank you for making Diner Talks a part of your day today. We got a dope guest coming out. Her name is Christelle Bauer. I'm telling you, y'all, a heavy hitter. She is a wellness expert, an entrepreneur. She's a consultant. She's a wellness advisor, a keynote speaker. I'm She's a university lecturer. Can I go on? Good, because there's more. I'm telling you, she's a boss, integrative medicine fellow. She is a physician's assistant. She specializes in (laughs) integrative psychology psychiatry, functional medicine. She's a Reiki master. Y'all, we're talking to a master, okay? I'm telling you, uh, she's a wonderful human being. More importantly than that, she's a badass mom, um, and she's an incredible human, and I have been so excited that she has entered my life. Now, she has already mentored me a little bit, whether she knew she was doing it or not. Uh, she is someone who hosts a top 100 self-improvement podcast called Live Greatly, and I cannot recommend it enough. She's an incredible human being, and I'm super excited for you all to meet her. So let's bring her out right now. Christelle Bauer. Thanks for having me. What's going on, Christelle? How are things going down in Chi-Town? Good, good. Things are good. How about you? How are you doing this morning? We're doing great. I went for an hour long walk today. I listened to Brene Brown this morning, so I've already cried. Everything's fine. Perfect. Perfect. I went for a nice run this morning, which is great. A little drizzle action going on, but didn't stop me. There you go. Does that inspire you more when it's running? Are you like, are you like, hey, I'm going to run faster, harder, or is it just, you know, what's going on in your brain? I, it depends on my mood. I just, sometimes I go a little bit more intense. Today, I'm a little sore because yesterday I did my first spin class since pre-pandemic, mm. which was amazing. So that said, I'm a little bit just, uh, I'm not used to using all those muscles. So today it was a little bit more of a chill run. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Had to, had had to warm everything up. Now, did you teach the spin class or did you just attend? I attended. You attended. Okay. I have not taught a spin class. So no, I just went. never taught a spin class. Fun fact. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, that's awesome Christelle you are a guest on a show called Diner Talks right now and so uh, I'm I personally believe that some of the best conversations we have in our lives occur late at night with the friends that we never want to leave sometimes over food that we shouldn't be eating Mm -hmm. and uh, and so I'm wondering uh, do you indulge in late night eating or have you in the past and if so what is your guilty late night pleasure sure oh gosh it's been a long time since I've indulged late night (laughs) Now it's more of like in the evening, sometimes I'll do like an apple with peanut butter or something Mm -hmm. like that if I'm hungry. But back in the day in college that, you know, we would do more of that stuff because different lifestyles. And, um, (laughs) and at that point, I feel like we would do a lot of Mexican. It would be like a burrito or like a place that was open late and go in there. And I normally wouldn't eat that kind of stuff. So with all the fixings and everything, that was my splurge. Get it all the way in. Yeah. Do you like, yeah. do you like, uh, do you like spicy food in general? Mm, medium. I don't medium. like spicy, spicy. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing in the Midwest, right? It's called Midwest level of spice. Uh, where there's yep. not a lot of folks out here that, uh, that can do, uh, that can do a lot of heat, which was a fun thing that I learned when I moved out here. <laughs> Are you someone who likes a lot of heat? I can, uh, I've learned, I've learned to get into some different hot sauces. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not like downing ghost peppers for fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but my tolerance has slowly increased, uh, over the years, much to the chagrin of my esophagus. Uh, yeah. There was an episode on chopped that I saw where they had to use ghost peppers and I had never heard of them before that episode, but it's like, they're, those are dangerous. Yes. You gotta be careful with those. Yeah. Yeah. No, you scratch your eye. After you touch one of those, you're going to feel it for a week. Oh, uh, 
Uh, Christelle, I'm super excited to have you. We met on uh, this funky little app called Clubhouse, mm-hmm. and I always love what you share, uh, dropping wisdom, asking great questions. Uh, your curiosity is uh, is something that I really uh, look up to. Now, and so uh, I'm curious for you, as a podcast host of, uh, of Live Greatly, what do you challenge yourself to do as a host? In other words, like, are you, are you constantly like, I want to ask the next great question or I want mm-hmm. to, I want to appear smart or I want to write. Like, I think the ego gets involved huh. when you're a host sometimes. And I'm wondering what are some challenges for you as a host? Good question. I strive to have it be a natural conversation. So for me, it's more about uh, just being comfortable. So not getting worked up. And I think sometimes if you have, or in the beginning, especially if I would have a guest who I admired or who I looked up to, or I thought, wow, they're doing so many incredible things that would make me nervous because just for whatever reason, and I was new to it. So I've learned to um, not put people on pedestals and that kind of helps. It's like a level playing field. Like you're having Mm -hmm. a conversation with another human being. And that really, really helps me just grounding myself before I have these conversations with people who are really um, doing incredible stuff. Yeah, I love that. I am someone who, uh, I'm someone who has a little bit of insecurity sometimes around my intelligence. uh, And that's something that I've had for a long time. Uh, And so I have this deep desire inside of me to be seen as wise. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where it comes from, but it sometimes causes me uh, to maybe ramble a little bit more, or it's uh, maybe the question is good, but I ask it with too many words. And like, it's, it's interesting to see the way sometimes the ego or our wants or insecurities sometimes get in our own way uh, on these platforms. You know what though? That's not even something that I think anyone would really notice. It's something that you notice about yourself because you're hyper analyzing it. And I think we tend to do that. It's just, we pay so much more attention to those little things where everyone else, they're not worried about that. They're worried more about themselves, (laughs) you know? And so I think I actually had someone on my show the other day talking about performance anxiety. Hmm. And she was sharing that, um, you know, we, think so often that everybody's going to remember something or notice something. And that in reality, it's again, they're, they're focused more about themselves. So like some of those ruminations, sometimes just reminding yourself that a lot of people don't even notice (laughs) sometimes can help. Yeah. (laughs) Christelle, that sounds like such a great idea. I wonder what it would be like to live life that way. Uh, You know, I'm someone who, and I've shared this on here before, but I'm someone whose Achilles heel is often uh, a desire. I need, I have a desire to be liked. Uh, mm. And and so, I mean, sometimes humor is a great way that I hide what's going on. I'm just like, no, everything's fine. We're laughing. We're carrying on and writing. And that's sometimes my Achilles heel in life. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have an Achilles heel? Is there something that you're like, oh, here this comes creeping in again. I, I got I to gotta tame the tiger mm. real quick. That's a good question. You know, I, I think the people pleasing, I used to fall into that category of Mm -hmm. wanting everyone to like me and really worrying if I felt like someone didn't, why don't they like me? What did I do wrong? What, you know, (laughs) overthinking. And I think the Achilles heel for me probably is that overthinking because, you know, I'm prone to anxiety. I've dealt with anxiety. I've learned ways to manage, but I still experience it. And for me, a lot of that is that my analytical brain and um, having practiced in medicine, just thinking really deeply about things, making sure I didn't want to miss anything. And so I have that that just natural tendency to overthink. So I've yeah. needed to learn how to um, detach more from my thoughts and to step back and just to kind of let things flow more versus like attaching on. Mm. And recognizing, oh, I'm doing that again. I'm like attaching on something, <laughs> you know, and that just that awareness and then creating space around it to to not worry about it. Like, I don't need to figure this out right now. Just let it go. Yeah. So that's definitely something that I've experienced. And I relate to the wanting everyone to like you. I think um, I I wonder where that, that comes from. Like I, if it's just part of like how we grew up or family dynamics, because I know some people don't worry so much about that. You know, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Where do you think that comes from for you? 
you know, yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's nature or nurture. I mean, everything yeah. is, uh, is, is typically, uh, starts out in nature and then the environment either blows it up or reinforces it. Uh, and so I think for, uh, I think for me, a lot of times when I was younger, when I was younger, I always was the person who had the wise ass joke in the back of the mm. class and right. Or I always wanted my parents' attention as well. I'm, I'm a, the youngest of three, but my older brothers are nine and 11 years older than me. So there are a number in a number of ways, especially when we think about the years that we remember, I was kind of an only child, right? Um, at least in my eyes. <laughs> and so, um, and, uh, and so like wanting my parents' attention, but my dad's mm -hmm. like, I'm watching golf or my mom's like, I'm reading the paper, yeah. right? like some of those kind of places and then getting into schooling years also um, just wanting wanting to be liked wanting to be seen as funny wanting for people to know that I was a safe place for them to talk I think yeah. has always been something that I've strived towards and so wanting to create that out often at the expense of people learning about me right it's like hey I'm gonna put up this facade I'm gonna make you laugh I'm gonna make you feel good I'm gonna ask you questions but I'm never going to kind of bring it back on me because I'm, you know, I don't need to burden you. I don't need you to worry sure. about anything. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think again, you're not alone in that. I think a lot sure. of people have that tendency and what has helped me is just, um, as I've kind of gone through this self-improvement personal development journey and just more curiosity about these things about myself, I think for mm -hmm. a long time, there was this level of unawareness about it. And then once I became aware, I was like, well, I wonder why that is. So for me now, it's like I said before, trying to not overthink, but then also really checking in with myself and asking myself if I want to say yes to something or do I really want to say no? Because I used to say mm -hmm. yes a lot when I wanted to say no. And that was that like people pleasing tendency um, or not saying what I really wanted to say because I was afraid maybe I, someone would take it the wrong way or maybe I would hurt someone's feelings. So it's been for me just about being more real about, okay, I'm going to be honest. If I really don't want to do something, I'm going to politely say no or, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever that looks like. But I think too, juggling a lot more things with my business and my show and my kids and my life, like I've needed to have healthier boundaries about that, um, about recognizing I can't make everyone happy. <laughs> so <laughs> that, you know, that's helped me, but it's still a work in progress for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I heard, I heard in a conversation recently, no is a full sentence. And yes. I was like, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, are yeah. you someone who has a hard time saying no, or are you, is that come easy for you? It has gotten, I've gotten better with time. Once I, I think, uh, there comes a point in life and I don't know when anybody, I think we all hit this at different points, but there comes a point where we recognize, Oh wait, time is finite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I only have a certain amount of it and I have things that I want to do with my life. I have people that I, I no longer will give everybody as much time. Uh, yeah. And whereas before it was like, I need to help all the people at all the times, right? Like my GPA in college was like a 2.7 because I was too busy building community and wanting to be there for other individuals mm -hmm. that I was the last person. And so I'm doing, I'm starting my homework at 3am after the diner. Um, and I'm naturally falling asleep and not getting work done. Right. Cause mm -hmm. I'm the last priority. So yeah, that's definitely something that I have uh, subject subjected myself to. Right. But it sounds like you've gotten better with that, which is good. You know, for sure. and I think another thing that is coming to me that helped me like shift this perspective is for before I went back into practicing medicine, I was home with my kids for a while. And mm -hmm. around that time, my mom ended up getting diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And that was mm -hmm. a shock. We weren't expecting it, but what that did, it really put things into perspective for me. And I realized like all these fears that I had had about being judged, about failing, about looking stupid, whatever was holding me back from trying, it just, it diminished the power of those things um, in the big picture where I was like, yeah. you know what? I don't want to have those things stop me from really living my life to the fullest and really going after the biggest vision for my life. So that helped me with the worrying so much about what other people think. You know, it still creeps in, mm. but I, I don't let that stop me anymore. You know, so that yeah. 
just that big life event really shifted my perspective. Yeah. Jolt of perspective, a yeah. full, a full yeah. dose of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned that you are someone who's very analytical, right? Obviously you have a, a career in medicine uh, and, and you are an extremely analytical individual. Now you're an overthinker. Um, in that moment, it also sounds like maybe some feelings crept in as well. And you went from a little bit of not just being a thinker, but also allowing yourself to be a feeler of yes. things as well. Would you agree? Yes. So it, for me, it's really about combining that and, um, tuning into yourself. And I never really used to do that. And now that I, the past four or five years, I've really gotten into meditation and mindfulness, mm -hmm. but before that I didn't have that. So for me, that that's been really helpful to just take time every day, morning and night. I try to, to just have quiet and just tune into myself. So I am paying attention to how things make me feel, how situations are making me feel, how relationships are making me feel. So it's not always that like logical brain, yeah. you know, which can create stories that aren't real a lot of the time. So it's tuning into how, how I feel about things as well. Yeah. I love that. The, the, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I like to say that I'm at the intersection of self-awareness and lost and, and, and that's something that meditation can really help with, right? Kind of, kind of, uh, bringing you centered and meditation is a practice that I have, uh, a, a sporadic relationship with, but whenever I do meditate, I'm a better human. I just, I know it. And, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm certainly a, a better driver. <laughs> I'm a less aggressive driver. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm more forgiving to people who cut me off. Uh, and, and, but also the world slows down a little bit and I, and I, I'm someone with ADHD. And so slowing the world down is important from time to time. Yeah. And, and so I love the way that you spoke about that. So for you with meditation, having ADHD, is it hard for you to sit and meditate? Like, have you tried like moving meditation or other things, or are you able to meditate where you feel rejuvenated afterwards with just sitting? I, I can do the longest I've been able to do is 15 minutes. Uh, the longest I've been able to do is 15 minutes sitting. Uh, and usually around the, uh, uh, around the 11 minute mark, my brain's like, Wee! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I actually have not, uh, I've not tried moving meditation before. Mm -hmm. That might be something worth looking into or checking out because I think it gives you another focus point. So there's things like mindful walking where you just are, you're walking without, go without planning to get to a destination. Mm -hmm. You're walking like that. Each step is your meditation. So that might be worthwhile, but I think it's just really anchoring yourself into the present moment. And um, for me, like it, sometimes meditation, it, it feels really good and, reju and rejuvenative. And then other times when I've got a lot going on, it's harder to meditate, you know, your mind's yeah. more active. So I think having those different options um, is really helpful for different parts of your life. Yeah. And being forgiving of those days where you do have a lot going on and yeah. maybe you're not, you know, like you don't need another thing to beat yourself up about like, now I can't even meditate. Yes. Um, <laughs> I can't even do this right. Uh, this day sucks. True. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I met Grace once. She was great. Uh, we don't hang out a lot, but I've heard she's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> the concept of grace, but uh you know, you have this amazing history. You are a uh, you you are a PA, a physician assistant, and you specialize in uh, in, in integrative me medicine. I don't know why that word is so hard for you to say. <laughs> integrative medicine. When did that journey start for you? Why why was this a field that you wanted to pursue? Yeah, in college, I knew I wanted to go into some sort of health related field. I wanted to help people. I didn't have. Um, any interest in business like that just was not on my radar whatsoever. Yeah. So I knew it was going to be something in the health world. And I was either going to be a PA or I was going to be a pharmacist. That mm. pharmacist was more my parents. They were like, you know, pharmacists, they, you know, they're, they do really well. They make good money. Da, 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 da. And I remember thinking like, I don't know, that sounds a little boring, but <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll apply to pharmacy school. And then that was before PAs were really um, as well known as they are now. Mm. And so they were like, what is, what's a PA? And so it took a little bit of like education into what that is. And, and I applied to both. I got into PA school, I got into pharmacy school and I, I went the PA route. 
uh, which was, it was an interesting journey. You know, I did more traditional Western medicine right out of school and mm -hmm. I worked in pediatric pulmonary, which was hard working with kids who were yeah. sick was really tough, especially new and oh, it was heavy. But then I switched over to plastic surgery, which was a little bit lighter in some senses. Um, I did a little bit of dermatology. Then I was home with my kids for six years. So I decided to do the stay at home mom thing. And I was thinking like, I'll probably, I didn't think I was going to go back. I thought I was going to stay home at that point. And that's when my mom had her diagnosis, mm -hmm. which sparked that, like that desire to do something to, you know, learn to grow, to help people. So then, um, I went into integrative psychiatry and functional medicine and learned a ton and I wanted to further my education. So I also became an integrative medicine fellow at that point with Dr. Andrew Weil, uh, through the university of Arizona. So that was really a lot of different avenues. I learned so many different arenas of medicine. And I got to the point though, where when I was practicing clinically, I felt like the one-on-one -on -one for me was draining. I, I okay. am somebody, I tend to like, take stuff on. I'm very empathetic. And it was hard for me to hear what people were going through and not allow it to impact me later on in the day, you know, or the next week or so for me, I really liked teaching. So I started teaching, um, at our, uh, university around here. And I was like, you know, when I do that, I don't feel drained after I feel invigorated. I feel like, wow, I'm really helping people, yeah. but there's also really great boundaries for me and for how I am impacted by this kind of stuff. So that led to this like shift of, okay, I'm going to leave clinical practice. I'm going to take all this knowledge that I have, and I'm going to share it in a way that is also really empowering for me, as well as the people that are hearing the message. So that's kind of led to what all the stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah, for sure. Where you you have your own uh, your own company, um, and you do a lot of wellness work uh, for others. You, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what you do right now. Yeah, I'm dabbling in a lot of different things. And as it, I mentioned before, like it, when I was in school, I had no desire to do business. So yeah. it was really funny <laughs> to me that I was starting my own company because I never would have thought I would have gone down that path. Like I would have laughed at someone if they told me that I was going to be doing <laughs> what I was doing today. Um, and I used to be so afraid of public speaking. So that too, I would have been like, you're crazy. Never would I ever. But that said, you know, now um, I'm really kind of tightening up my focus um, over the past few months because in the beginning I was doing so many different things and it was taking, I think like anytime you're building a business, there's so many different things that need to get done. Um, but at this moment, I'm really focusing a lot on writing a book, which is fun and exciting. So that I'm working exciting. on my book proposal right now and I'm, I have my podcast. So podcast, book, and then I'm also starting to do more TV media stuff. So I'm bulking up that media presence, which I really enjoy doing mm -hmm. and also speaking. So speaking, media, podcast, um, and then a little bit of consulting here and there where I just I created the um, content for a big well-being course for a risk management group, and uh, I'll collaborate here and there and, and support companies, um, you know, with content, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah a little awesome. bit of this, a little bit of that. Sure. Yeah. Keeping it fluid. Uh, mm -hmm. That is, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and, and you said so much there. And it is... Uh, first off, I, I didn't know about the piece of where you uh, where you started out with pediatric pulmonology and then mm -hmm. going into plastic surgery, which those those two feel like a, that was a huge switch. Oh, I my feel. gosh. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, when did when did you said that you wanted to help people in college? You realized I want to help folks. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, medicine is the way that you chose to do it. Health is the, the reason. And so when did wellness become the focus? Was wellness the focus early on or was it kind of during the the time where you were uh, like you mentioned what, what happened with with your mother and then also yeah. being at home? Like when did wellness become the focus or was it always? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, when I was practicing in more Western medicine, mm -hmm. I 
don't feel like I was the healthiest person really. Like I wasn't paying attention to nutrition and, um, stress management and all these different things in a, in a necessarily healthy way. And then when I got pregnant and I had my kids and then I started to look more into that and in more of a holistic view. So I, for me, I think I look at wellness as and well-being as more about like the whole person. So not just your physical health. And I, sometimes in the Western medicine, it can be more about treating a symptom than really nourishing someone's well-being. And that's not always the case, but sometimes, you know, those appointments are limited. You only have a certain amount of time and that there's just not as much training in -hmm. traditional medicine about these more holistic practices and about nutrition and all these different things. So for me, that was more of an interest in, and then getting the education and doing the fellowship helped me get some more credentials behind that. Sure. Yeah. When in doubt, more letters behind our names. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the you know you bring up a Western medicine, Eastern medicine, and this is a fascinating conversation because in you know here in the West, you know we take there's a pill for everything. We have awkward commercials on TV where you learn a lot about a whole bunch of horrific side effects while people happily ride around on bikes and lick ice cream cones, and it's 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 mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a fascinating world to live in and. Uh, so you mentioned that Western is about treating the symptoms. If, if Western is about treating symptoms, what is Eastern medicine about? Sure. You know, in Western also they do, you know, there's preventative screening. And so like, I'm not, I'm all for Western medicine for, for certain things. I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's extremely valuable, but I do think that for like overall well-being having a more holistic approach, or I should say holistic sometimes I think has a weird connotation for people. A more integrative approach can be really, really helpful. So looking at it um, in the sense of there's all these different modalities. If you're looking at Eastern medicine, you know, there's acupuncture, um, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. And I think really what it comes down to is what resonates with the individual and what is going to support them in feeling their best. So are they getting the support that they need for their mental health, for their emotional health? Um, are they surrounding themselves with people who make them feel good? So an integrative medicine practitioner at a first visit would look at all of these different components, not just, okay, what are your symptoms, but let's look at you know how how are your relationships what's your environment like you know what's your diet like um what's your childhood like you know and you're kind of getting this big picture about this person as a human being to see what areas do they need to pay a little bit more attention to or there's room for um for growth and support so it's not just looking at the physical body Mm-hmm. And it also could be looking at, um, you know, things like stress management and vitamins and nutrients. And then if you get into functional medicine, you're looking at gut health. Like there's just so much more than just saying, okay, you have the symptom, take this pill. It's like, well, why did you get that symptom in the first place? You know, sure. if someone comes in and they're not sleeping, okay, it's not just like, here's your pill, sleep. <laughs> like, well, what's what's behind this? Like, let's figure it out so we can really try and solve that root cause so you can have a more fulfilling and healthy, vibrant life. Yeah. I love that. It's like, it's like when you, uh, if you're going to get the weeds out, you got to make sure you get the roots. Otherwise yeah. it's coming yeah. back. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I, t- I totally get that. And you know, I, uh, I've had some, some back troubles over the past handful of years. And so I started going to an acupuncturist mm. and this guy's a real prick. I regret nothing, Christelle. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm a dad now. I can make those jokes. Um, no, he's uh, he's an incredible man and I really enjoy him. And uh, it has been it's but it's also just fascinating. It's like, OK, I'm going to lay on this table and he's telling me about all these points. And fortunately, yeah. and, you know, if you're going to find an acupuncturist, find somebody who likes explaining things uh, just because you just feel like you're a part of the process. And it is deeply fascinating. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you got your line here and you got your yeah. point over here and this affects this. And I'm going to put this in your forehead because this and uh, it is 
incredible uh, and it has been helpful as well i would say mm-hmm. um and and it was just to the point where it's like you know all these i'm i'm, t- I'm taking too much advil yeah <laughs> and right. at some point i was right. like i know that too much advil eventually can be a really bad thing and sure. i'm not even trying to get close to that line and so what else can we do here? And physical therapy has also been helpful as well, right? And I mean, like you said, combining some of those Eastern and Western things, um, because we have people that live a really long time in all hemispheres. And so somebody's doing something right everywhere. So therefore we can learn from each other. But there's such a resistance oftentimes to uh, other, you know, functional medicine, as you mentioned, uh, and and to and to and to Eastern practices and whatnot. Where do you think that resistance comes from? Well, I think that we, you know, in the U.S., it's um, we have a lot of wonderful resources, and we have, um, you know, Western medicine, and it, there's a lot of really wonderful, valuable things that have come from it. But in certain situations, I think the the double blind placebo controlled studies, you know, those may not be as prevalent in some of these other therapies. But that said, there are really great studies showing that acupuncture can be impactful for certain things. So there are studies there. They're just not as um, represented in education for general practitioners in the U.S. So I think that there's this belief like, oh, there's not good research there or, you know, but it hasn't really been looked into um, in depth. And so in my fellowship, it was great because we were able to see research behind all these different modalities. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, I the way that I view it is anything that can reduce your stress and help bring you to a, a place of, of healing with by activating that parasympathetic system Mm -hmm. is going to benefit you. So anything that's going to make you feel good and acupuncture, I personally really enjoy it. I've had it done. And I'm curious, James, did your acupuncturist talk to you about diet with your back pain? Because I know that that a lot of acupuncture practitioners have very strong opinions about certain things that can cause back pain. So I'm curious if they gave you any insights there. He was, uh, there's, there's a few things that he told me. He told me that I, need, I should eat a lot of sweet potatoes. Um, and he also told me that I should, uh, oh, what did I, I was in there recently. And he told me that I should eat things that are red, um, like, okay. like fruits, like fruits that are, he's like, eat some plums. He's like, eat some beets, eat some uh, okay. things like that. Not necessarily like super acidic, like tomatoes. Um, but, uh, but he also told me to increase some of that. Uh, some of those things is what we've talked a little okay. bit about. Did he talk to you about dairy? No, but tell me more. Okay. So my husband uh, had back issues and like really healthy guy works out all the time. And it was uh, getting to the point where he was like struggling to like get out of bed. It was painful. And he went to see an acupuncturist that I had recommended. This was a while ago. And the acupuncturist asked him about his dairy intake. And he's like, well, I love dairy. I eat dairy all the time. And <laughs> she's like, well, that's, that's not good. That can, you know, activate inflammation. So he did a trial off of it just to see. And now that I've been practicing, I, I've seen that too, where I can, in certain people it can spike inflammation and he, um, his back pain went away. Like no joke, no other, no other changes, nothing. So that was fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Just how certain foods for for certain individuals or for people can flare up that inflammatory process. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, no, I hadn't I hadn't heard that. I'll ask him about it though. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to hear his thoughts. Uh, that would be. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, I don't know. I've never I've never heard that, and that's uh, that's really cool to think about. Yeah. It's just so funny. The you know we since we are so Western trained here in the U S we're like, well, we don't, we don't think about the food that we ingest or some of the foods that we put into our body as, uh, as things that could also be medicine or anti-medicine, yeah. right? Like in this case, like milk is, uh, inflammatory or is inflammatory sometimes in some of its processes. Um, and so it's just so interesting to think about, uh, in that way. Right. And I, and you're right. We, a lot of people just don't make the correlation and you, the truth is like food is giving us so much nourishment and it's giving our body so much feedback. And so it's not to say like all dairy is bad 
that. I think some people can eat it and be totally fine, mm -hmm. but it's really knowing your body and recognizing that food is impacting how you feel. It is impacting your physical health. It can have a profound impact on mental health. So if there are certain foods that your body doesn't agree with, that could be making something a little bit more amplified. Um, personally, mm -hmm. you know, I love recommending a plant-based diet for people. That doesn't mean don't eat meat. It just means crank up your plants. So crank up your fruits and vegetables, plant-based proteins, and that I, you know, can lead to less inflammation. So lowering inflammatory foods like French fries and pizza and bacon and all that stuff. It tastes really good, but it does spike inflammation and, you know, sugar and all that. Um, and cranking up the, the healthy stuff can have a positive impact on physical and mental health too. Mm. That's beautiful. Uh, and I won't tell you what I had for dinner last night, um, but <laughs> you just listed everything. No, uh, the, uh, the, it is, uh, it is so interesting to think about because we know as humans, we are taught from a, a fairly young age, right? You're taught the, uh, the food pyramid and all those things. It turns out the food pyramid was wrong that we were yeah. all taught when we were younger. <laughs> like, there's nothing sacred, the food pyramid. Um, and so, but like we were taught uh, all these things. But in general, one thing that we all know is that eat more fruits and vegetables, uh, exercise uh, more, and you live a healthy lifestyle, right? And that's, uh, those are the, the, the basic steps to health. And it's fascinating because I'm someone who struggles with this, that I know the things to do, yet doing it is hard. And so there often comes in, especially in my world, the word shame, right? And, and I'll high five Brene Brown real quick uh, right? while I talk about some shame. And so there's a lot of shame in the, why can't I get out of my own way and just do what I'm supposed mm -hmm. to do? Right? And like, it's really annoying because there's a lot of people, especially like Instagram folks that are, that are out here like Nike, were like, just do it. Just stop. I did it. So can you. And like, sure, there is some merit to that intense discipline, but there's also steps in between. There's a mental gap that needs to be overcome. And I'd be curious to hear, you know, when you work with clients or, or as you're training trainers and, and things like that, um, you know, how do you combat the mental side of it, the, the shame side of it, so people can get out of their own way so that they can start making healthier choices? Right. You know, that's a big thing. And that's like some deep-seated stuff too. Um, you know, your, your limiting beliefs. And I, I think this whole process of, of self-love is something that we all need to work on. You know, every single person could, I'm sure, have more self-love um, and you're, so you're not alone in that, but it's sure. really, I think, reframing it and recognizing that you know, you're a human being. You know, we're all human beings. We're, we're trying. No one's perfect. And everybody has different areas that are challenges for them, you know, and, mm -hmm. and being compassionate towards yourself. Like, and, and the thing, it too, is you can get into certain habits and those habits can be challenging and hard to break. And there's, there's many layers to that. And, you know, certain foods can release certain neurotransmitters or certain endorphins and they make you feel good. And then you crave that. And so there's so many different processes here um, that it's just important to not beat yourself up. But one thing that I, I think can be helpful for that is to make really approachable goals for yourself. Because if you set a goal, like I'm never going to do this again or something <laughs> like, like starting tomorrow, Get out of my only, head, Christelle. Get out of my head. <laughs> only eating this. And that's it. And then when that doesn't happen, you're like, I'm not good at this. Okay, I can't do it. Why can't I do it? And that's just is the cycle of like beating yourself up. Instead, something that could happen or could be more beneficial is like, okay, I'm going to pick one meal that I want to incorporate, maybe some more vegetables or some fruit into it. Or, you know, um, a couple times this week, I'm going to make sure I have a healthy meal, something that you know you can do. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that, you like give yourself a pat on the back, you feel good, you feel motivated, and that motivates you to take that next step and then that next step. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's sometimes it's, it's giving ourselves the gift of time, right. Yeah. And recognizing that it's like, you just, it's the time. First off, it's the time that you just spoke of where it's like, give yourself the time to change, give yourself the time mm -hmm. to slowly build up good practices, right. Mm -hmm. Like atomic habits type stuff. Um, right. Yeah. And you're like, you're slowly trying to build in good practices. Um, but it's also, uh, giving yourself the grace of those days that you do slip, that doesn't mean you're a failure and the whole thing is over. And that's sometimes I think, you know, that's what shame tells you, right? Shame's like, get back down here, you failure. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And it's it, and it's a, it's a vicious cycle sometimes that folks are into. And so <laughs> like, like you said, just adding, you know, a couple extra healthy meals a week is a great start. And it's tough when you're in shame to recognize the beauty of starting because mm -hmm. you're so interested in what you are not and what you will quote unquote never be that mm -hmm. starting feels like nothing. Um, right. It's like, just because I read the first page of this book doesn't mean I'm going to finish this book. Right. But yeah. we have to, we have to flip that logic and we have to start seeing those things as wins, not just as like, Oh, here we go. Trying again, bro. Good luck. Right. Uh, and you know what? And it's recognizing that, that voice may still be there. Like you may still have that chatter, but mm -hmm. you don't have to listen to it. No. So it's, it's having that like detachment from those thoughts that they're just thoughts, you know, it doesn't make them true. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean it's true. It can pass through your mind and you can let it go. Or, or if it's there, you know, you don't have to determine your actions based on that, that mm -hmm. negative self-talk and, you know, therapy counseling, depending on where people are at could be really beneficial for that, just to help reframe um, those thought processes and how you view that. And that that can be really, really beneficial. But I think that this whole um, nutrition and wellness, it can be a challenge for a lot of people. And it's cutting yourself a break and again, making goals that you feel like you can actually achieve to get that momentum building. And then if you need support to help you get to where you want to be with that kind of that mental perspective, yeah. um, talking to people about that, that specialize in that I think could also be really helpful. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. You know, Christelle, in the, uh, in the internet world, it's so easy to compare ourselves to others, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it made, it made it way before, before the internet, we we're just lurking over at our neighbors being like, ah, look at that car. I wish I had that car. Mm -hmm. Um, right. But like, or maybe the person at, at work that you would look up to, um, but now we can look at anybody and see their lives and base it, excuse me, and compare it to ours, whether they're, we know they're showing the highlight reels, but sometimes yeah. in our own head, we don't, we don't let ourselves remember that. And so this is particularly true. Again, maybe this is also speaking to some of the stuff that I've dealt with that I find it to be particularly true, but the internet is a really tough place for individuals who are interested in living healthier lifestyles, because what you're seeing is a lot of individuals who have done it. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not necessarily seeing individuals who are working on it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's super easy to compare ourselves um, to these folks that are like, just do this and just do that. And, you know, yeah. you know, as I, I see a lot of your feed and, and you are someone who is clearly in shape um, and, and, and someone who speaks incredibly well. And so I'm wondering for you, as you, as you work with clients or as you work with educating others to help working with uh, mm -hmm. people, you know, what are some of the stories that you share that also humanize you? So it's yeah. not, it's not just like, it's not like, well, just come on over here. The water's fine. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. What are, what are some of those stories that, that you tell that, that sure. you try to bridge that gap and meet people where they're at? Yeah. I mean, I have had so many different things that I've had to overcome like anyone else. There's, I really think that our lives were always learning. We're always growing. Anyone that seems like perfect from the outside, there's everyone has their own challenges. And that was something that I really recognized when I was practicing in integrative psychiatry. You know, someone could come in and look like they have it all together, like everything in their world is perfect, but that's, that's not the way it is. Everybody is going through stuff. You know, the celebrities that you see, those people on Instagram that seem like they have it better than you in one way or another, like they've got their own issues they're working through just like you, but it might be a different thing. Mm -hmm. So putting that all in perspective and like what I said earlier, like stop putting people on pedestals. It's that can be life changing. Just recognizing that everybody is going through their own growth 
Um, but for me, like I used to be so, so, so afraid of public speaking. And I mentioned that to you before. And I really felt like I was bad at it because it made me so nervous. And I remember uh, having a speech, I having to give a speech in college and being like shaky and freaking out the night before and just dreading it and dreading it. And I'm sure it went fine, but I felt so nervous that I just assumed I was really bad at it. You know, and I had to speak at my sister's wedding. I was freaking out. (laughs) So I always thought that meant that I was bad at speaking. But one big shift, like I mentioned before with my mom's diagnosis, when I was like, you know what? I don't have to listen to that voice anymore. That like mean voice. That's like, you're not good enough. You're bad at this. You're whatever that voice was saying. I was like, I'm going to see, I'm going to test that. I don't have to necessarily believe that. Like maybe that's true, but maybe it's not true. So for me, it was really about breaking out of that comfort zone and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and putting myself intentionally in situations where I knew that I had limiting beliefs about myself. Like I knew that I would feel uncomfortable and that was okay because I wanted to try and shift that perspective. So when I first, I started lecturing, um, I did my first university lecture and I realized that moment for me when I felt I was nervous, but then I gave my talk. I felt really empowered. I felt like I helped a lot of people. And I realized it wasn't that I was bad at it. It just was that it was making me uncomfortable. It was because I was nervous. I was new at it. So just that like shift of perspective for me, like just because something makes you uncomfortable does not mean you're bad at it, opened up a ton of doors where it was just leaning into that um, and having a little bit more self-compassion for myself. So that's one area. Another area with food, like, you know, For me personally, I've had an interesting relationship with food where I used to take things to the extreme. Like I was learning all this stuff about diet and nutrition and you have to eat this way. You have to do this. You have to be totally clean. So I was in a lot of situations being too restrictive and Mm -hmm. taking it too far because I was afraid. I was afraid like, well, if I don't do that, well, will this happen? Will that happen? It was very fear-based for me. So being able to get to more of a place of balance for that, where it's not about being perfect. Cause that's something that I've had to overcome is this like perfectionism, like wa- always wanting everyone to see me as perfect, mm-hmm. wanting everyone to think I was perfect and realizing like that's, it's okay to not be perfect. Like I'm not perfect. Yeah. So same thing with, with diet, I'm trying to have a much more flexible um, loving relationship with food where I'm eating things to nourish my body, to make me feel good. Uh, but it's okay if I have pizza one night, you know? Mm-hmm. So sure. there's definitely been a lot of growth in, in all those arenas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, one thing we both need to admit really quickly, an important sidestep is that being from Chicago, you don't actually eat pizza. You eat tomato parfaits. Uh, and uh, New York is the only real pizza. But anyway, I, uh, I digress. No. <laughs> I'm just playing with you, Christelle. Uh, I'm, I'm down for some deep dish. But uh, <laughs> I'm a thin crust person. I'm not a deep dish person. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Yeah. Well, then. So then you actually know that what is it is true. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And also you bring up something that is, uh, that I think is really important that especially when it comes to weight, I feel like we are sometimes at our worst with this. And that's that recognizing that everybody's journey with food is different, right? Mm -hmm. Because it would be very easy for me as someone who has shamed himself for being overweight for so long to be like, oh yeah, you had a problem eating too clean. Was that tough? Just ate too much (laughs) kale, a little too much kale and quinoa. Was that really hard for you? You know what I mean? But like, yes, it was, right? Like you went through something Mm -hmm. and it was a process and it affected you mentally Mm -hmm. and it was unhealthy, right? Just because- I don't even like the taste of kale. Does it mean that, you know, your problem was any worse than mine or any, right? Like food and, and dieting and, and, and just consumption is it's a, it's fascinating the different journeys that we are all on. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we so often attach shame to understandably Mm -hmm. that we can't even understand somebody else's struggle. Yeah. I I think it's um, recognizing that, everyone's experience is valid for whatever it is that they're going through. Mm -hmm. So that I think goes back to that, like self-compassion of just getting, getting to that place where like, 
you know, for you, if you're struggling with, with diet, you know, that that's okay. Like that's part of your journey. You've been learning and not, don't beat yourself up over that. You know, that's, that's okay that you've had those challenges. It's okay that you're going through that. And then really kind of taking your power back to Mm. be like, all right, so I accept that this is what's happened. I accept that this is where I'm at. And then that can lead you to, okay, well, do I want to take an action step here? But I think the first level is just like acceptance and and not um, the ca- that comparison game again. It's like you can't get into that comparison game because it's just it's not apples to apples. Like you said, everyone's going through their own stuff, their own journey and has their own challenges to overcome. Yeah, for sure. It's not apples to apples, but it is apples and peanut butter. Shout out to your snack. Yes, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a callback in the business, Christelle. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> So here's one uh, the one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that you are also someone who uh, is a Reiki master. And now uh, energy work is something that I feel like has gotten more and more love, you know, that with the internet, all of a sudden yeah. everybody's out here with their crystals and their, yeah. their green tourmaline and their right. Like, and they got like energy work is something that we're talking more publicly about chakras. I feel like I'm seeing more about astrology. I recently finally had my full chart read. Turns out I'm a triple cancer. Uh, and so that's apparently special. So that's cool. Um, and, and so, a lot of the energy work is something that was, you know, it was it was just something that hippies did, and mm-hmm. and, and people uh, in the backwoods of, of different populations, and it has really come to the forefront. And Reiki is something that is gaining a lot of popularity. And I have to be honest with you, I don't understand it. I'm not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it is not a viable thing. I'm just truly saying I don't understand sure. what yeah. happens. And so are, do you still practice Reiki and or get reiki have Reiki done to you? You tell me what the terminology is. Um, are you Reikified? Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's a really there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And my perspective about it has shifted, you know, as I've, um, as I've kind of grown and developed and, and I, for me, the reason that I really got into that was because I was looking at all these different modalities to try and help my mom with her healing process and myself and her family. So I was thinking, okay, we're doing the Western medicine and she's going through those treatments. What else can we do? So I was looking at nutrition. I was like, let's just explore all these modalities. So it was for me at that time, it gave me a sense of empowerment. Like we were you know, trying to do all these different things to help her. I really feel like with this kind of stuff, whether it's energy healing or whether it's um, massage or something else. It's really about getting yourself to a place where you feel relaxed and you Mm -hmm. feel empowered. So if that's energy healing for somebody, I say, go for it. If that's getting a great massage, I say, go for it. So I think there's a spiritual, um, there's a spiritual aspect to Reiki and to energy healing, but I think it doesn't Reiki can have its own benefits, but there are also other modalities that also can be extremely beneficial. So it's, it's really coming back to the, the individual, yeah. what resonates with them. You know, if they feel like Reiki sounds really fascinating, really interesting, they want to try it, go for it. If they're like, no, nah, I'm not so sure there's something else that sounds more appealing, try that. You know, so it's yeah, yeah. really tuning into yourself to see what you think would resonate with what you need. Beautiful. Spoken like someone who is a true expert in integrative medicine, uh, because that's what integrative medicine is, right? Like it's, it's not just chuck one thing at somebody. It's, yeah. it's let's figure it out. Going back to like what you were talking about with the roots. Um, and so I, I really respect the way that you just spoke about that. Uh, yeah, for sure, friend, for sure. Christelle, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned this earlier. I meant to ask you this question uh, when you brought it up earlier, you talked about perfectionism and perfectionism mm-hmm. is something that so many of us struggle with. Where does your perfectionism come from? Was that something that was no. taught to you? Was that something that uh, was past expected of you? Is that a pressure you put on yourself? Uh, where, where did your perfectionism come from? What's the root of that? It's a or good the- question. I think I put a lot of that pressure on myself. Cause yeah. I never needed someone to tell me to get my work done or like, I always wanted to be prepared for that test. I always was like, I felt like I, I just, it came naturally, 
you know, and, and maybe like you and I were talking earlier about this people pleasing stuff. Right. And I think that that's tied together. It's wanting to be perceived as perfect, wanting everything to be perfect so that, um, everyone likes you. So everything's okay. You know, everything, nothing can go wrong if everything's perfect. If you do everything perfect, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not so much, but I, you know, who knows where that comes from, but for me, it's, it's part of this process of just, being more compassionate with myself, developing more self-love um, and just more understanding. Like you know, we've been talking about just understanding everybody has their own challenges to overcome. And this sense of like vulnerability too has been big for me of, of not having to seem perfect, not having to show up all the time. Like, like I, I always have it all together because I don't, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I, that for me though, when I was shifting out of that perf- perfectionist to like, oh yeah, I've got stuff that I'm dealing with. That was uncomfortable, but that also went into that um, process, which I talked about of leaning into that discomfort and getting comfortable Mm -hmm. with being uncomfortable. And for me, that was letting the world know I'm not perfect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or letting myself know, I guess, being okay with knowing I'm not perfect, you know? Yeah, for sure. I bet, I mean, it's had to have made you a a better parent, a more present parent, because I think parenting is something a lot of times, or or maybe that's, or maybe that is a source of your perfectionism as well, where it's like, my kids got to feel, I got my kids looking perfect over here. I get to see a sucker suit on boy. Um, right. Like, um, right. Like, you know, but parenting is, is humbling in that way. Uh, for sure. It kind of parenting punches perfectionism in the face. I'm, I'm only four months yeah. in and I'm already feeling it. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but at the same time, a lot of times, people want to show that they are such perfect parents. It's such a place of shame. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's so much mom guilt going on. I'm sure dad, dad guilt has its own Avenue too, but there is, (laughs) there is this like this idea, like you got to do it all perfectly. And, um, that just doesn't exist. It's not real life. You know, life happens. Times can get stressful. And being a parent is part of that. I really just try and remind myself, like I was doing the best that I could at, with whatever at that time, you know, or I'm doing the best that I can in the moment, even if that means that, you know, I maybe did something that I later was like, oh, why did I do that? Or it's just recognizing that again, we're all human beings and we're all doing the best that we can. And as a parent too, for me in the beginning, like I was this was when I was still being really restrictive with stuff, with food. And I was so concerned about like making sure they were eating super healthy and we got to do no food coloring and no food dye. And I think that there's definitely a place for that, you know, and I still we minimize it, but it, for me was like loosening up around that and like everything, like she's going to be okay. They're going to be okay. If they have that food coloring cupcake at the party. Like it's yeah. okay. Right. <laughs> so we that, don't have to not talk to those parents ever again. Yeah. So for me, it was just <laughs> relaxing. Like I can't control all of that. I don't need to control all of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, I know that that is easier said than done most days and you and I can smile and look at each other, but there's times where we do cringe, we do worry, we mm-hmm. do right. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it's easy to shout out real quick on a podcast. It's another thing to live it on a routine basis of like, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I'm trying my best. Meanwhile, the kids over here, absolutely (laughs) flipping out. And you're like, this is me trying my best. This is me trying my best. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's been a weird year though, James. I mean, with the kids, you know, e-learning and everything, I think everyone really has needed to just cut themselves some, some slack, like give yourself a break Mm because it has just been a challenging know, year and change, especially for parents who are working. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. I, uh, I agree with you. Uh, and parents uh, definitely getting a lot of gold stars this year. Uh, (laughs) uh, I love it. Well, Christelle, I cannot thank you enough for coming and sliding into the diner booth with me. I know you haven't been in a diner booth in a minute. Um, but, uh, I hope you still felt cozy in here and I cannot thank you enough for coming through and just sharing your knowledge, sharing your, uh, your, your research and your lived and practiced experience and your uh, everything. I just, I really appreciate it. I learned a lot from you today. Thanks, James. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, y'all. That was my time with Christelle Bauer. She's an incredibly 
wonderful human being. Make sure you listen to Live Greatly. It's an outstanding podcast. Obviously, it's in the top 100 of self-help podcasts. There's a dumb amount of self-help podcasts. I should know. But the thing is, is that it, hers is truly exceptional. Make sure that you check it out. She's a wonderful human being, and I can't thank her enough for sliding in the booth. And I can't thank you enough for being in the booth right here with us, my friends. Until the next time we get to hang out, do me a favor. Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, <laughs> come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.